Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. And good morning. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, your co host with you today. And we love being able to provide guidance and knowledge and education so that you have the power to make decisions. And so, Bruce, today we're going to be doing a little bit of a unique type of podcast. And this is because we really want to be able to help you if you are in a position of saying, I'm not sure about infinite banking, or I've heard some things that I'm just really unclear about. And can you help me understand really what the facts and the truth is so that I can make the best decisions possible? Um, Bruce, kind of the way that we came to this podcast in the first place was that we we share live on YouTube and Facebook and all of the platforms. And so we get a lot of comments. And sometimes the comments are of the nature that are very argumentative or um, derogatory, demeaning. And, you know, we recognize, and Bruce, we can even talk openly about this up, up front. There's really three kinds of people. There's the kinds of people who are just closed-minded and don't want to learn something new and they're going to continue to have their way of thinking about something. There's people who are really open-minded and wanting to learn. And then there's the ones that are somewhere in between and maybe really sitting on the fence and saying, I'm not sure what to do with this information. And so um, Bruce, we can even just talk about this up front, but you know, if somebody has a lot of objections about anything, we're not in the business of convincing people or arm wrestling them or saying we have 15 better points than you had. And so therefore this is a debate and whoever has the best argument wins. But I think sometimes people are hungry for that understanding. If maybe there's some phrases that are locked back in their mind somehow that they've heard from somewhere and it just doesn't line up with what they really think or want to think. And they're not sure what to do with that information. Yeah. I mean, it's, Let's just think about this uh, from a logical perspective. There's a couple of things that I think people ought to first understand, like a CFP in the financial uh, world is like this designation that everybody thinks, oh, this person is the person I need to go to because they have a CFP, a certified financial planner. And Oh, there's people that will only go there. Well, they actually are educated on whole life insurance. Mm-hmm. So you here you have a, a financial planner, certified financial planner, uh, that is educated on whole life insurance and how to use it properly. Then you have the insurance industry that has been doing this for well over 100 years. And like I said, uh, on many occasions, things that um, are at least good for certain people uh, wouldn't survive that long without it being. The final thing that I'd like to point out personally is I'm also a financial advisor. And so I've been trained on both sides and I'm a fiduciary. So I have to do what's in best interest for a person based upon what they want and need. Okay, mm-hmm. and and we do that through a, a variety of questions that we do, and the and that's the final thing on that. 
another part of the topic when you're trying to determine uh, what you're reading is most people make determinations on what they've heard or read rather than what they've experienced. Well, Very because I've actually because I've actually had whole life insurance my entire life, I've experienced it. So, do I have other investments? Yes, um, but I don't have. I don't consider this an investment. And and we're going to talk a little bit about how this these questions are. You know, it's a terrible investment. And yes, we agree because it's not an investment. Mm-hmm. It's it's a variety of other things to do. So, when a person is doing this, you have to ask. Why are they going on to YouTube randomly and trying to tear this down? I mean, it, it makes no logical sense. So now I'd like to bring in um, A.L. Williams. Uh, A.L. Williams was a person who in the early 80s started the campaign of buy term and invest the difference. And one of the impetuses of that was that he had a close relative that actually died and had whole life insurance. And that whole life insurance payment, the death benefit, wasn't as great as if that person would have just bought a term policy. So his whole thing was it was garbage. So he made it his life work to get rid of every whole life insurance product and replace it with term life insurance. Now, so now when you, you know the background of this per- person, this person was doing it from an emotional state mm-hmm. of I'm doing this because this person died and they would have had a greater death benefit. Is that true? Absolutely. And that's why we espouse getting up to your human life value whenever possible, at least talk to you about it. Now, so that person made it his, his life mission to get rid of a a particular product, even though that was also going to hurt people in the long run on the other side of age 70, for example, where their term life insurance would run out. Now he espoused the same thing Dave Ramsey espoused that at age 70, you don't need any life insurance because you would have put all your money into mutual funds and your mutual funds would have been, would have grown to a certain amount, so you don't need life insurance. Well, we say you might be correct according to what you believe in. However, you might want a death benefit past age 70 for a variety of reasons, a variety of good reasons. And if that's what a person wants, that's what the person should get. And the best way to make sure that that is still in force is to have whole life insurance. So these are the angles that we're coming from um, another, another thing that there's a, I, we won't call them by name, um, but there's a company on, on television right now that doesn't believe in life insurance. They only believe in investment and, and they espouse the fact that they are fiduciary, like only a fiduciary can help you with your money. And in the commercial, somebody, an actor questions them and says, Oh, so you, are a fiduciary because you have to be a fiduciary. And the company comes back with their actor. and Well, actually, it's not an actor. It's actually a vice president of the company. says, no, we don't do it because we have to. We do it because it's the right thing to do. So even being a fiduciary, 
you're you're bound by a, a an oath which is which can be then considered in a court of law in a mediation that you didn't do something in a best interest but that particular person is even saying well we're not even doing it because we have to we're doing it because it's the right thing to do well even non-fiduciary people which insurance people are not fiduciaries can do things because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And there are thousands of people that do that on an everyday basis. So keep this in mind. What is the person's um, actual motivation when they would just come randomly on a, a YouTube video and start questioning and with such passion and, and vile, what are they getting out of this? Are they just simply an investment person and they just want to sell more investments and they don't want anybody to question that they don't have any life insurance because then their investment portfolio will go down? We have had guests on this program, Dr. Wade Fowle, who has actually used mathematics and research to show that this is a good way to have an overall strategy. Tom Hegna is also another one that people could research. And Tom has the research mathematics that actually show that this strategy is a good strategy for most people. So as just keep that as your baseline as we go through these questions. That's really great. Thank you, Bruce, for um, just so much thought in um, the way that you approach life and just sharing that through uh, this question. I mean, yes, the, the framework of the setup of what happened here is we're producing content. We're talking about infinite banking, whole life insurance, how it works, why it might be a good fit for you. Um, and I have whole life. We have whole life insurance in our family. Um, Bruce, you have whole life insurance in your family. This is not something that we just say we believe in. This is something that we strongly believe in because of our experience. And so we share information. We provide education. And sometimes, yes, we do get these comments that um, just are looking for a debate. And um, yes, I do question, uh, why is this person spending so much time um, talking about why something is, why they disagree um, on that platform? So let's go ahead and dig in a little bit here today. Um, All right. So. This, we're not going to use the person's name, but you can go look up any comments on YouTube that you wish. Um, This was on a video that we talked about the 10 mistakes when buying life insurance. And so um, we're going to just kind of walk through some of the comments here and um, and then talk about what exactly the correct way of thinking or the truth or the facts are behind this claim and the, um, the perspective that is being shared in the comment. So the claim here was that IBC, standing for the infinite banking concept, is just a gimmick to get people to buy whole life insurance. Again, this is the um, the comment. As we all know, WL, meaning whole life insurance, is a scam of trash value insurance. Um, so those are just kind of some bold claims, not necessarily a lot of substance backing that up, but then there is a lot more through the rest of the comment that could lead back to say, well, this is what this person meant by that statement. Bruce, is there anything you want to share there? No, I think I already covered it when I said, you know, gimmicks don't last. 
And so, uh, when they call a gimmick, I think that's, that's, uh, that's all we need to say. They don't, they don't last. That's great. All right. So, um, this is the next part of that comment. The next quote is where the client slash victim pays monthly premiums of at least 20 times more than term. So Bruce, I'll just share some of my thoughts here and just some um, facts up front. And then I would love to um, dig into all of what your thoughts are as well. So one thing is if you were to look at just say $500,000 of death benefit coverage, it is true that if you go shopping for the lowest cost you can pay for that amount of death benefit, it is true that term insurance costs less in premium dollars for that amount of coverage. And it is true that if you are looking for whole life insurance, you are going to pay more in premiums for that amount of death benefit. However, it's not at all apples to apples. Comparison, whole life, term life are not even close to the same thing. Term life, we're talking about just a death benefit that is paid out. There's no living benefits. You're not able to access your cash while you have the policy in force. And you're not able to use it for anything except just the death benefit that pays out to your family or whoever you've listed as a beneficiary when you die. Now, whole life, on the other hand, is a lot more than just a death benefit that pays to your family. This also includes a cash value component that you can use. We're going to talk more on cash value in a minute and what that is and how to access it. But it is the accessible portion, the living benefits that you can use while you're alive. And because it's the living benefit that you can use, this cash value is something that is, it sets whole life completely apart. And what I like to think of whole life is life insurance that has a death benefit, but in addition, it gives you a reserve or a pool of capital or a warehouse of wealth, a war chest. It's this place to store cash that can give you the access and accessibility to your cash. It gives you safety of knowing your cash is there for you. And it is growing, not at the rate comparable to a risky or a, um, a strong investment, but it is growing comparable to other places to store cash in a very competitive way. So I'll leave it there. There's so much more I could say, but Bruce, I'm going to hand it off to you. Um, what are your other thoughts on this portion? Yeah, I I think the the big thing is that um, I don't even think you can compare it to five hundred thousand uh, dollars premium for term and whole life because I you know you've mentioned this before and you mentioned it you know it's apples to oranges yeah I would I would tell everybody that has term insurance if you go back to your contract. So let's say it's five hundred thousand dollars. You're a forty year old, and it's a it's a twenty year term. So that means, uh, well, let's say it's a thirty year term because you know, you're seventy, and it's going to be very difficult to renew it after seventy. But they're going to give you a schedule. Look at the contract. It's going to say um, forty dollars a month, forty dollars a month, forty dollars a month, forty after twenty or thirty, 30 years. years where, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're going to give you what it is on the 21st year because they're going to allow you to keep it after that 20 year, but the premium skyrockets 
And then it continues to skyrocket every year. And when I say skyrocket, I don't mean like just goes up a little bit. It goes from 40 to maybe $12,000 a year the next year. And then the next year it goes to 14,000. And then the next year it goes to 17,000. The next year it goes to 20,000. All you have to do is look at your contract. Now, logically, why is that? Well, it's because a 40-year-old in a 20-year term, that is, their health has been checked out. They know that they're actuarially, they're more than likely not going to die. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a very small percentage that are, not, are, that are going to die. And they're going to they're be able to cover that loss reserve from that. With whole life insurance, and this is the part that I wanted to understand, for people to understand. It's not that the cost is 20 times, as the person said, greater, um, because it's not just for that 20-year period like it is for the 20-year term. Mm -hmm. It's for the entire life up to age 121 on most contracts right now. Mm -hmm. So, And you're not paying it the entire time on on a lot of the contracts. You're paying it over a 20 or 30 or up to age 75. After that, you don't have any more premium payments. So it's not like at age 75 in a whole life insurance contract, all of a sudden they say, oh, you have to put a lot more in. And the final, well, we'll get this. I know this is an objection later on, so I'll, I'll, I'll wait for that particular objection for my next comment. But um, that would be like saying, well, I heard, I heard a person say this at a conference one time. Oh, so you, you, your parents bought a house in 1963 for $22,000. And now you're buying one in 1998 and it's $140,000. What a ripoff. My parents bought it for $22,000 in 1963. You're ripping, you're ripping us off. Well, that's because the cost of everything went up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just like in whole life, the cost of everything goes up. Why? Because they know they have to pay out the death benefit. Yes. Yes. So if you were going to put enough gas in your car to drive 20 miles, that's not the same thing as filling your entire tank so that you can go as far and as long as possible. And I know that's a, there's a lot of holes in that comparison, but the idea that if you're paying for only 20 years of something, that you're highly unlikely to pass away during that time, it's of course going to be a different cost than if you pay for the full your full life of something that is guaranteed to pay out. What's interesting as well is most term insurance doesn't even pay out because um, it's about one to maybe even 2% of life of term life insurance policies actually pay out. And the reason for that is most people either run out of the term insurance and decide not to renew and they are still living, which is great for them, but they have not reaped any um, financial benefit from the term cost that they've put in over those years. And so they're in a position that either they convert it to whole life or they drop the life insurance. And so highly unlikely that the term policy is ever going to have an ROI, whereas the whole life insurance policy, you pay in your premiums and you know you're going to get a death benefit. Um, I think we've covered everything there uh, or most things here. Let's move on. Um, So the next part of the comment um says oh sure the client has promised everlasting insurance and a lucrative growing cash value but let's look at that scenario so um bruce do you want to go ahead and unpack that one for, for a second well i mean he's exactly right not only are they promised but they're guaranteed everlasting insurance and the, 
I don't know what your definition of lucrative cash value is because we don't promise lucrative. We promise what has traditionally happened anywhere between three and a half and, and in the really good times, 5%. But three and a half is a conservative way that your money can grow. We never, we never talk about this as being an investment or being that you're going to have all this money at, at the end. We do talk about it being a, an alternative to other financial vehicles that are because of the manipulation in our monetary system is actually better. Well, mm-hmm. it could be uh, in the bank. And it's not just a little better than in the bank. It's a lot better than the bank. We use it. We could use it as a bond alternative. We're going to talk about that in a little bit because he tries to compare, or she, whoever it is, tries to compare this to a consumer reported article from 2015 to the 10-year Treasury, and taking taking things. I, I don't want to say uh, purposely out of context or content, but maybe taking it out of content or context because of ignorance. And a lot of times ignorance is a bad word for people, but ignorance simply means you haven't been exposed to the, to the information. You're ignorant of the topic. Mm-hmm. So that is not a slam. That is actually a compliment that they're, they're doing this out of ignorance, not out of uh, spite. Or malice. So, or, yeah. Or malice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I would definitely think if I was going to go into a lucrative business, I wouldn't say I'm going to go into life insurance ownership. I mean, that's not, I mean, you don't go in for the purpose of it being lucrative. And you also, um, yes, you have an everlasting insurance through your whole life. I've never met a person living in the past who's lived up to age 121. Life insurance continues to raise that age of endowment as life expectancies increase. And so they're basically saying that we cover your whole life, but they have to end at a certain age. So they end at age 121 and they say, oh, by the way, if you're actually still living at that time, we'll pay out your entire death benefit to you, which equals your cash value at that point. So um, just a few additional points there. The next portion of the comment says, first, it takes years to grow any cash value because the first several years of payments are direct commissions for the weasels selling it. I said, I'm going to show the comment exactly as it is. Yeah. And this is, and once again, you, you have to ask yourself, why is this person throwing vitriol, Mm -hmm. you know, at a debate because they're trying to draw into a debate um, by calling people weasels. And once again, there's hundreds of thousands of, of highly regulated by each state, these products. So if there was a bunch of weasels doing it, I don't think it would continue, but this is just this is a this is a false comment. It's absolutely a false comment because especially because they've already commented on an IBC. Well, an IBC practitioner, a certified practitioner, and even if you're not a certified practitioner, you understand how these things are designed. You're designing these to pull the base death benefit down to the appropriate amount that the client wants. Sometimes clients want higher base death benefits. And that's for, and you guys can research other shows that we've done to, to listen to that, where you're going to get anywhere between 60 and 
85% of the cash available the first year. And it is true that part of the drag on the policies in the first year are commissions that are paid out to um, agents, licensed agents, licensed agents. Other drags are home office personnel, which could include actuaries that design the products. They include underwriters who actually look at a person to make sure that they um, are healthy enough to have a product. All the service personnel, and of course, other things to run a business. It's no different than the concrete guy that pours your driveway. They are getting paid to provide you a good or goods and service. And, and the majority of that is getting paid up front. So the, the, the comment has validity to it. It has a certain amount of truth to it. But that's no different than buying term insurance. Term insurance would be a lot cheaper if you didn't have to pay home office, actuaries, underwriters, and agents. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's the same argument. The big thing that shows the ignorance here is if it's a if it's a traditional whole life insurance, that's all base insurance. Yes, the first year has very little cash value. And there's some people, including myself, that have policies like this. And there's reasons why people want policies like this. I'll tell you a really big one. Some of the some of the wealthiest people in the world actually want policies like this because they mech the policies. And that's for another show too. They put as much cash value as they can to have a permanent death benefit right away because they want that permanent death benefit. And that permanent death benefit then then is used to pay estate expenses when they pass. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're doing it in an IBC situation, I've already spoken, you know, they're anywhere between 65 and 85% as a general rule. So um, this is just an ignorant comment. The person doesn't understand how life insurance, especially whole life insurance works. Well, and I would argue that having your costs front loaded in a way is good for you because then once you get over that initial hump of lack of liquidity, you have a lot more growth. If you stretched out the expenses over time, you would end up having more drag on the policy in later years and you wouldn't have as good of a performance in the future. Rachel, you just you just spurred something as far as investments. Because like I said, I do investments also. So that's what tax deferred money is, tax deferred investments, IRAs, 401ks. The government says, here's 10, you're going to put $10,000 in there. We're not going to tax you. You're at the mm-hmm. 25% tax bracket. That would have been 2,500. We're going to let that grow over 30 years to $200,000. Now we're going to tax you on 200,000 at 25%. So instead of giving them $2,500 early, you're giving them $40,000 later. Mm-hmm. So and there's, a, there's all kinds of other things that people need to consider on that. But um, this is exact, you're exactly right. In, this, in, there, in some scenarios, and that's what a Roth IRA is. 
you know, a Roth IRA, you're able to pay the taxes up front and then not pay them on the end. Unfortunately, the, the government knows that. So now they limit how many people can actually contribute to a mm-hmm. Roth IRA and how much can con- contribute during any year. Where a 401k, the, that, that amount is, is about three and a half times more. And if it's a SEP, it can be up to 50, I think this year's contribution is 56 to $57,000. So, and that's why they, uh, wealthy people cannot even do Roth IRAs. And that's why we call whole life insurance a rich man's Roth mm-hmm. because they can actually get a lot more money into it than the, the limits that are currently put on. Bruce, that was, so, so. that was fascinating. I wouldn't, I didn't think about going in that direction, but I mean, it, it all boils down to if I want everything given to me immediately and I want, I want everything right now and I have zero delayed gratification. Can you say that word right now? Then I'm going to shortcut the, I, I'm not going to get the full benefit of life. And if you look at life insurance the same way, if you're like, well, I don't want to pay any fees up front. I just want to pay in the future. Well, then you would not be in a tax favored tax advantage tool like whole life insurance is you wouldn't have the tremendous benefit at the end. And maybe it would be better today, but what about next year, decades from now at the end of your lifetime and even into generations ahead? I mean, really life insurance, especially whole life insurance is a powerful generational tool to create a legacy because the dollars you pay in in premium today will always be less than the death benefit payout. And if today I put in X amount of dollars and more dollars, we'll call that Y pays out to my kids, then my kids use their payout to buy life insurance. And those Y dollars pay out Z dollars being more than the Y dollars they put in, if you're following, then their kids are going to get a bigger payout and I can continue to stair-step this into future generations. But if I just stop and say, well, next year, I'm going to have these fees, I I will miss all of the benefit that I can have in the future because I couldn't have delayed gratification. So um, I think that was a, a big conversation there. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think this person isn't even well-versed enough to understand. And once again, I, the viewers of this YouTuber podcast, if you go back to Dr. Wade Fowl, investments are also uh, sensitive to what's called sequence of return risk. Mm-hmm. In other words, when you actually access the money, is it up or is it down? If you have a buffer account, an account that you can actually go grab money out of so that you don't have to touch your investments in retirement, then Dr. Wade has actually done all the research to, to say that having that buffer account is really good to, to allow your investment account to actually thrive in down markets. Mm-hmm. So you could listen to that podcast, but this, once again, it's not that you're only having whole life insurance. Now there are some people that only want whole life insurance. I have, I have, we have the money advantage have clients who are business owners. They only want whole life insurance because their investment is in their business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they, they believe in themselves and growth of themselves. Matter of fact, we're going to have one of these business owners on in a few weeks 
that he can make more money there than in any other investment, but he wants a, a safe place to store his, his money, that he's also protecting his, his children. And then he thinks he's going to grow his business to be so large that eventually he's going to have an estate tax. And so he wants some, some guaranteed death benefit that's going to be in place that will now pay the estate tax. So I, I find people that are attacking a certain product, they don't understand the strategies that people are trying to accomplish. Well said. And we have to start with the principle first then the strategy, and finally looking at a product. We can dissect products all day long, but yes, it's about what is the person trying to accomplish. That That's crystal clear. All right, next part of the comment here. So we said, first, it takes years to grow any cash value. The next part of the comment says, second, the true ROI on cash value after fees and commissions is about 1.2%. Garbage. That's less than the rate of inflation. Consumer Reports did a beautiful study on cash value and the true reports. Um, so much um, interesting stuff here. Um, I would say what we have seen over time with a real growth rate of actual policies that have been in force, and we have not just looked at an illustration today projecting into the future, the expectation of what we hope will happen, but historical data, looking back at a policy that started in 1982, for example, and is still in effect today, and what the cash value is versus what the premiums were put in. We can look at that data and say, we've seen between three and 5% net, net, net return in terms of premium dollars going in to how much cash value is available. This happens because of dividends and interest. Your interest is a guaranteed growth rate inside the policy. Dividends are not guaranteed. But when we look back, I say net, 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 that's because that is after taxes and fees of all kinds have been taken out. This is the true amount of dollars that you have to access and use compared to the dollars that you put in. And so, you know, I would just say, I don't know where the 1.2% came from, but I'd like to see the data. Well, I, on actually, that. I actually did the research from the consumer re report. Um, awesome. Let's hear that. And I looked at this and once again, this is what, this is what people do either out of ignorance or out of, this happens on our, in our daily lives now, mostly with political agendas. They only pull out certain parts. And actually, uh, this particular, um, this particular uh, article in Consumer Reports actually says it was 1.5%, not 1.2%. This particular person was probably trying to remember this from memory. It says, however, the average annual return, 1.5% for the whole life insurance guaranteed cash value. Is 1.5%. Which is different okay. than the guaranteed and the non-guaranteed. In the historic, in the historical, it's fine. We can use historicals when we're talking about investments, but we can't use historicals when we're talking about whole life insurance. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying here seems, if you're reading this, seems to be, oh, that's, that doesn't make any sense. And then he, and then the consumer report goes on to say, that isn't as even a, as high as treasuries. Well, this was done in 2015, and it said the treasuries were 2.2 percent, 10 percent of the 10-year treasury. It's currently about 1.74 percent, and 
between 2015 and right now when we're doing this in 2022, the U.S. 10-year uh, Treasury actually dipped below 1% at one time. So to make a blanket statement that it's not going to stay up with this, one of the things that we know is that insurance companies do use a lot of treasuries to actually make their guaranteed promises. But they also use a lot of other types of bonds, corporate and high yield bonds, to make their guarantees. So the guarantees are going to be reflected. It's not going to be as high as the dividend producing um, companies. And once again, we represent every company that we represent have have paid dividends for at least 117 years without interruption since the beginning of their time. And other, if you if you look at the other mutual companies that are out there that we don't represent, uh, and the reason I know this is because I used to be appointed, but I never I actually ever sold there. Some of them been around for 172 years and only missed two years of mm. not paying, and it was during the Civil War. Oh wow! So so. When you're looking at this apples to oranges again, certainly you're going to make some misstatements. And I think this misstatement has been, and actually, if you read this, it's very complimentary of whole life insurance. Um, I shouldn't say it's very complimentary, although there's some complimentary things, but it explains exactly what you and I are talking about, Rachel, is that term insurance has a cost because of this. You cannot compare it to the cash value cash value life insurance because they're they're not apples to apples comparisons he, this particular person she really kind of only pulled out the one thing at the end which was talking about the guaranteed cash not the historical returns that have been going on for well over 100 years and once again we have to say yes they're non-guaranteed but i always find investment people uh, they always focus on that non-guarantee, uh, and yet stocks like GE or Peabody Coal or or um, um, Kodak, <laughs> those have gone by the wayside, and people never say, well, wait a minute, um, those are trash. You shouldn't be doing stocks because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's what is the agenda? That's really what you should be asking yourself. Yeah, frankly, oh, should I be asking what our agenda is too? I mean, it's obviously we believe in this stuff, and obviously mm-hmm. we get paid for this stuff. You should be asking that um, too. But use your brain, use your thought process. That is excellent, and yes, absolutely. What is our agenda? We do get paid to educate people about life insurance because the people who want life insurance are wanting to be to have the adequate knowledge and resources to be able to understand the decisions that they're making and feel really good about them. I want to point out one other thing here is that when we talk about returns at all inside life insurance, we really can only talk about what's inside the life insurance policy. But if you think bigger for just a second and you step out and you say, what else can I do with this money because I have it in the life insurance policy? Well, now I can also borrow against that cash, put it to work in another investment, earn returns in two places at the same time. And because I can do that, the opportunities or the um, the options. That's what I'm looking for. You have unlimited options for how you get an external return 
on that cash. So we're going to talk about that in a second as well. But keep in mind that life insurance is not just a closed system that you put the money in, you leave it in there for your whole life, and then you get a paid out death benefit. You can do so much more with your life insurance while you're living. Bruce, do we have time to continue on with this? Oh, um, no, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. I think we should. All right. So um, the next portion of the comment says, third, when the client dies, the family only receives the face value of the death benefit. You ask, hey, what happened to all the cash value that accumulated all these years? The insurance company keeps it. This is my favorite part of the comment because this is so misunderstood. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. This is crazy. You go ahead, Bruce. Yeah. And as a and as a seventeen year career uh, educator, um, one of the one of the one of the things I that really hurts my heart is how poorly people understand math, and also how poorly critical thinking is actually taught. Mm-hmm. So this is this has been espoused by people who, frankly, want to dupe people to say. Um, Hey, this is this is terrible, and then then you don't even have to do your research because I told you it was terrible. Exactly. If you un, if you understand how the actuaries, how the actuaries actually figure the cost in in a whole life insurance, then this wouldn't bother you. It wouldn't bother you at all, because you're only charged you're only charged the difference between the cash value and the death benefit. That delta that's the, that's the only thing you're charged for. So when you have a million dollars of death benefits and you have $500,000 of cash value at age 60, that 60-year-old is not paying for $1 million of death benefit. They're only paying for Mm -hmm. $500,000 of death benefit. And as it grows, as the cash value grows and gets closer to the death benefit, you're paying for less and less of the death benefit. The cash value by the actuaries at any one time is not really a rate of return. It's the net present value of a future death benefit. So the actuaries know at age 121, the cash value and the death benefit are going to come together and they're going to equal and they're going to pay. They're going to have to, by contract, if you're still living, pay that out. So that's why every time they know the net present value of this as it compounds, is going to equal a future death benefit at any time, at any time, whether it's whether there's a, an arbitrage, between, a spread between them or whether they've actually come together. You know, and so this, this is such a tired, tired argument. The same way when, I, when people say uh, you sell a house, well, you've paid into that house the whole time. Why don't you get the sale price of the house and the amount of money you paid into the house. You don't get both. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. Because you're only you're only being charged a mortgage on the difference between those two numbers. So what's really interesting to me is that I like to think of this pictures work really well for my brain. And so I think about in a properly structured whole life insurance policy, you're going to have paid up additions which continue to have um, you continue to buy additional death benefit and your death benefit starts at one point and it continues to grow upwards through the life of the policy. So that death benefit is increasing. 
Bruce, is there anything else you want to clarify about why the death benefit increases? I want to make sure that I said that correctly. No, it's just because you're buying paid up insurance. You're buying like little mini paid up insurances within that contract, along with paid up additions that are by contract that are optional, but you can put them in or by if you set the dividends to actually buy more paid up additions. That's right. That was the piece I was missing. And the reason that you may want to do that is, let's say the dividend is $5,000 and for a 40 euro, it's going to buy about three and a half times more death benefit. So $5,000, three and a half times more is about 17,500 more death benefit. So then if you borrow against your cash value, borrow $5,000 out, yes, it's going to accrue interest, but the $5,000 is also going to still accrue interest. And let's say you die, you die the next day. Well, you borrowed against it at 5000 but you got $17,500, $250 of more death benefit. You take the $5,000 off the death benefit mm-hmm. and you're st- you're, your estate's still getting $12,250. doing all this math in my head, but I think you get it. <laughs> yes. Get, get that. Yes. Yeah, so the point is that if your death benefit's continuing to grow, or even if it's stayed flat, but it doesn't, it continues to rise the way that we structure policies, your cash value grows to meet at age 121 meets the death benefit. So Bruce, you did this. I'm just going sideways instead, just a little bit different. But what happens is that at any point along that continuum of time, if I start at the beginning of the policy all the way through age 121 here, at any point, the cash value is a portion of the death benefit that I have access to. So yes, it's the net present value of the death benefit, but I think about it in terms of if the death benefit is the value of the house, the cash value is my equity. It's a portion of, it's not a separate piece. It's not, I have a house that I paid 300,000 for and I have 100,000 of equity. So that's 400,000 total. No, you have a house that you paid 300,000 for. Now you have 100,000 of equity. That is a part of your price of your house. It's not two separate things. So what happens is that when the life insurance company pays out, they're not going to pay you out your equity and the death benefit because the equity is a part of your death benefit. And so, yes, they pay the death benefit that is listed on your policy at that time, which is probably going to be more than when you started the policy to begin with. So it's just a misconception to say the insurance company keeps your yeah, cash value. I don't get it. I don't get it. You're either, you either don't want to understand it or you don't understand it. Uh, and you, or both, I guess, there, I guess there's another one. You understand it, but you're just going to say it because it helps your, it helps your actual argument, even though it's not true. Right. The third possibility. Uh, definitely a possibility. All right. So next claim here, um, or part of the comment, thus the only way to get money out of one's cash value is to borrow against it. That's right. Borrow against your own money only to lose it all. This is kind of going down the rabbit hole rabbit hole of uh, additional nonsense here. So let's first just clarify, there are two ways to access your cash. You can withdraw cash value or you can borrow against it. Um, we recommend borrowing against it in most cases because it's like a home equity line of credit where you can repay the loan. So you borrow against your policy, then you can repay it, meaning you then are able to use that cash again for another loan. So essentially... I could every single year, if my policy had enough cash value, I could take out a hundred grand 
in a policy loan, which is taking the insurance company's money, they place a lien against my cash value. My cash value continues to grow with dividends and interest. And I use that $100,000. I go buy a rental property. I pay back my $100,000. And the very next year, I do the whole thing all over again. I take another $100,000 out and I buy another rental property. I pay back my $100,000 policy loan and I take another $100,000. I'm recycling that cash and I'm able to use it for many things over time. I'm able to continue to withdraw. I'm, I need to use a different word. I'm able to continue to place a lien against my policy, use my cash value in that way of being collateral for a loan and then replenish it. So I am not, A, I'm not borrowing my own money. I'm not taking my money out. And secondly, um, I'm able to recycle this cash over and over. Now, what's really amazing about this is that because you're not taking your cash out, your cash value is growing uninterrupted, which means like a bank account, if I put in 100,000, took out 100,000, now I'm earning nothing. Then I put the 100,000 back. Well, now I can earn while the 100,000 is in that account. Then I take out the 100,000 to go buy another rental property. Well, now I have nothing, have, have nothing in my account. And the problem is I'm resetting the compounding every time I use that money. Whereas inside an IBC policy, I am not resetting the compounding. I'll just add the same way when you borrow money from uh, against your equity in your home. Mm -hmm. You're not borrowing your money. You're borrowing money from the bank. They're giving you additional against the equity in your home. Okay, it's the same thing. You can you can pay it back at any time. The other one, since this guy's our girl, woman, is so much into investments, investments also allow you to do against a margin account in your investment portfolio. You can borrow money. Oh, and by the way, they charge you an interest rate mm -hmm. to borrow that money. And oh, by the way, if the stocks don't go down, which is the difference against a whole life policy, because there's a guarantee amount of cash value, but in a margin account, you're borrowing against your stocks that aren't guaranteed. And if they mm -hmm. go down, you get what's called a margin call, which means you actually have to pay back more money than you actually borrowed. So, and more, okay, than, that will never more than the principal interest, but it more in addition to that. Right. And the reason it'll never happen because you have guarantees in, in the whole life. And, and you can borrow up to 100%, well, it's not quite 100%, it's about 96% of the cash value, the total cash value, because you have to have some in there to continue the, the insurance cost. Just like a HELOC, you cannot, for most companies in a good economy, with good banks, they don't they don't let you borrow up to a hundred percent of your home's equity, and margin accounts allow you to borrow up to fifty percent of your stock portfolio. But your stock portfolio, if it falls below that, then you actually and you have it max maxed out. In other words, if your stock portfolio goes from a million to eight fifty, but you got five hundred thousand dollars of margin out there, well, now you got to come up with one hundred fifty thousand dollars to make up a difference. Mm -hmm. And you do it one of two ways. You either have to come up with the cash or you have to sell your stocks. And what are your stocks at now? They're actually down. They're actually down in value. So you're selling them when they're down in value. So if this person is really into investments, they obviously don't understand how all this stuff works. 
Thank you for sharing that. All right, so let's go um, to the next portion of the comment. You really think this is a good plan? 200 years? Question mark. I don't know why I said question mark. I'm so used to voice texting. Snake oil is still mm -hmm. around, but I don't recommend people buying that either. Well, this is really confusing. Um, yes, we think it's a good plan. I don't know if um, a whole entire uh, portfolio of YouTube videos, articles, uh, podcasts over the course of the last four plus years, um, plus we've both been in business longer than that. I'm pretty sure that anyone in their right mind knows that, yes, we think this is a really good idea. And we've given a lot of evidence to back that up. Um, snake oil is still around. Uh, I, I, I didn't so. know. Maybe you can get it on Amazon. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I didn't Google it, but I'm pretty sure. I, I, I didn't look it up on Amazon either. <laughs> uh, I don't want to even. I don't want to even comment on this anymore. Um, I hope people find this helpful. Um, yeah. And so I guess do we have one more? Yes. Um, so. They did say at the end, my sources are Motley Fool, Consumer Reports, Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, Clark Howard, Marco Financing, Minority Mindset, and a slew of others who aren't insurance salesmen who tell the truth about trash value insurance. In fact, Motley Fool was named for the umpteenth time Financial Advisor of the Year. They have a beautiful video here on YouTube by their senior advisor telling people not to buy trash value insurance. You care to discredit them? No, I don't care to. That's <laughs> not what I do. Um, you know, I just once again, I want I want to say that um, when you're looking at these people, do they have any, you know, certifications? Do they have any licenses? And in most cases, at least the ones I'm looking up there right now, they don't. And what's interesting as a person who has multiple licenses and has to follow the SEC and FINRA and insurance agency guidelines. It's funny if you have if you have these licenses, you have to actually follow the the laws. If you don't have licenses, you basically can say whatever you want because the the uh, the entities that are giving out these licenses are basically saying to people, "Hey, if if you're following somebody that is not certified or licensed, that's on you." Okay, because they're not mis um, misrepresenting themselves. You know, person X is saying, oh, don't buy whole life insurance. That's a terrible investment. You should be buying mutual funds. And then you go buy mutual funds and all of a sudden they lose value. And you say, well, I'm suing that person because they told me to do that. And, and the SEC or Financial Regulatory Authority will say, well, wait a minute. You're listening to somebody that's not even not even certified they're not claiming that they know everything with this certification so mm -hmm. motley fool motley fool yeah it's a subscription it's a subscription service and i think they have some pretty good information i follow them but they don't have the end all be all what's interesting is they're giving all these people are giving out information to the masses like mm -hmm. everybody is the same we're not saying everybody is the same. We're doing things for what people want. We don't call people. We don't put people and email them and put them on our calendar. People actually want something and they email us. Yes. Okay. And then we turn people away. We say no. And for what reason? For you. If it's well, not a fit, if we can't help them reach their goals, if um, not if we're not like-minded, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
I think that's all I want to say about that. You know, Bruce, um, there was two other pieces of this um, kind of discussion on YouTube. And so I'll bring up two pieces here, small. So one says dividends are classified by the IRS or dividends as classified by the IRS are nothing more than overpayments, usually by PUAs. Thus one pays 5,000 average yearly in whole life premiums. Where did that come from? 5,000. Yeah, I, I don't know. Average yearly. Uh, but, depends uh, yeah, on what size I'll, your I'll policy just, is. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. This is, this is, yeah. <laughs> once again, it, they, they don't understand how things work. And yes. Yeah. The, and they said, and get back, sorry. And they say, and get back 150. Yippee. It's an overpayment. Correct. But that overpayment is based upon, once again, it's not guaranteed. So the, the guarantees are, are, are X and then they're saying, okay, we think we can do well in the market. So we're going to do these investments. The insurance company actually does investments. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we believe we can hold expenses down. And they're making a projection for their financials for, for that future. year. Mm-hmm. And if we do this, yeah, we could have charged you less for that. And, but we're still, you're still getting a return on your money. It's, it's not just an overpayment because it's impossible to be an overpayment because if it's an overpayment, then you wouldn't see your cash value grow by more than what you put into it. And I can say this by about anything. You can say buy a can of Coke. You're overpaying for that Coke because Coke pays a dividend to all their stockholders. So if they didn't pay a dividend to the stockholders, they, a can of Coke could be less. UPS pays a dividend. If you if they didn't charge so much to ship a package, then you could actually have less, but they're they're charging you more for it, so mm-hmm. they can pay a dividend. It but, just so happens the IRS has has actually said that this is a return of premium because they don't know that if they're going to get this. Yes, and I think I've said this on a previous show. This would be true if the only money coming into the life insurance company was premium dollars and the only money coming out of the life insurance company was dividend payments. But there's a lot more happening. There's a lot more um, sources of income besides just premium dollars because they're buying bonds and they're buying um, they're buying some investments. They're buying a commercial real estate. They're buying on large scale a, a, a complete investment portfolio, and they're figuring out what can they do to have a conservative, long range view that is going to continue to generate ter- returns and grow the company. And so, yes, they are. They have additional sources of income, and then they have additional expenses as well. So once they have all of the income and all of the expenses accounted for, then they do that final accounting to figure out how much they're going to pay in dividends. So there's just a lot more happening than only my premium dollars going into the policy or into the company. All right, we have one more piece of this, and this um, I'll read the whole thing. We'll see what we want to share here. Here's the best case scenario comparable to a cash value investment. Open a savings account with me and I'll let you borrow against your money up to 90%. Keep in mind the first four years of payment payments I keep as fees. Around year five, you'll start to accumulate some cash value. If you miss a monthly payment, your account is closed and I keep your money. Thus, any money you borrow, it will take three to six months and I charge 6% interest. Does that interest go to your account to build the cash value? No, I keep it. 
Here's the kicker. When you die, I keep your money. Sounds like a good plan to you. It's the same concept. How dare you tell people that cash value is a good investment? First, we have not said it's a good investment. We've never said that. Matter of fact, we on almost every show we say we say it's not an investment. So and the reason it's not person. an investment is that I think of investments and savings as two different, completely different buckets of money. If I'm putting money in a place to store cash, I'm thinking of is it liquid and is it safe? Is it not going to drop in value? That's the purpose of money in a savings type of vehicle. I'm not saying savings account only. I'm saying any place to store and save cash. I think of an investment as a place I'm putting cash. I hope that it's going to grow with a great rate of return, but there is is some risk associated. So I don't have the guarantee that it's not going to drop in value. I may or may not have liquidity. I might not be able to access that capital. But the number one thing that I'm thinking that differentiates the two in my mind is if there's risk associated, if if my account can drop in value, that's over on the investment side. If this capital is something I can access and use and it's guaranteed to not drop in value, like that the reason why we classify IBC as a savings type of vehicle is because your cash value is guaranteed to not drop in value. That is the purpose of savings. So when we say it's not an investment, there's a very clear reason. It's not just that we're not putting that language on it. There's a difference between savings and investments. Yeah. And then the whole thing about the interest not going to you, that's true. That's absolutely true. And we tell people that all the time. Matter of fact, every company we represent, it actually says it on their contract. Mm-hmm. Interest paid is to us, not to you. I think where it gets confusing is Nelson Nash, the um, inventor of the strategy of the infinite banking concept, encouraged people if the insurance company paid you 5% to pay back at 10%, that additional 5% is not is not interest that you're paying mm-hmm. to the insurance company, it's going to supercharge your policy in the form of a PUA. Mm-hmm. This is simple, simply a way that Nelson knew about how people thought, and it would be a way to get people to save more money um, because of human nature. He was just trying to say, hey, if you have a systematic way of, of paying money out of your checking account back into your whole life account. It's probably a better place to to uh, grow money in that instead of letting it sit in your checking account. Uh, that's that's simply where people think that you're paying interest back to yourself. Nelson was just calling it interest, but it was actually PUAs that were additional PUAs that you were paying. So, yeah. yeah also, just looking been, uh, back at this it, at this particular comment, um, the big gaping hole that I see in this comparison to life insurance is that. He says, you know, I keep the first four years of payments as fees. Um, After year five, you'll start to accumulate some cash value. No, you can accumulate cash value starting year one. We've already demonstrated that. Um, If you miss a monthly payment, your account is closed and I keep your money. Uh, That's not how life insurance works. That's that's 100% false. 100% false. Matter of fact, when designed even poorly, that's false. Right. Because you can actually... Uh, reduce pay up. You can actually uh, surrender some of the life insurance to make that one payment. That's a hundred percent false. And then once again, when I see statements like this, there there's simply an agenda that somebody's trying to make mm-hmm. an argument against. Then they don't care if they're even factually correct. 
Well, barely any of this is even fact. I mean, it's it's clearly opinion and clearly emotionally driven opinion, which all of us are entitled to opinions, but let's make sure our opinions are based on fact. Um, what also is really interesting here, um, thus any money you borrow, it'll take three to six months. I don't know where that even comes from. I mean, any money you borrow, you can, oh, he's saying that you couldn't borrow it until after three to six months. We have people who start a policy and are able to take a policy loan the very next month. So, yeah, I'm technically, I don't normally like to say this, but technically with certain companies, if you have a good relationship with their, with their service department, you can get it in about 21 days. You got to jump through more hoops to prove that the money has cleared, but definitely within 30 days, you can get that money. Yeah. And here's the other thing he doesn't mention is, you know, any money that's paid back into the policy is once again, available to you immediately. Mm -hmm. And here's the other big glaring problem here. He says, here's the kicker. When you die, I keep your money. Okay. Hold up. That's only if you have the misguided opinion or sorry, let me just rephrase that. If you have the idea that cash value is separate from death benefit and cash value is the only reason to have a life insurance policy because, well, if you strip the life insurance of the life insurance and you don't actually have a death benefit, that's not even life insurance anymore. But we're talking about a product that pays out a death benefit, a guaranteed death benefit. We're saying, oh, by the way, it also has access to the cash value all along the way. But remember, if cash value is a portion of the death benefit, even if you took a complete policy loan and you had zero accessible cash value in your policy when you passed away, which would take a while to unpack that, that whole statement, they're just going to subtract the value of your loan from your death benefit and still pay out the death benefit. So there is, I, I don't even know, I didn't count, probably 15 things wrong with this last comment. So, all right, folks, there you have it. Bruce and I didn't raise our blood pressure to do this post um, or this this podcast. What's really interesting to me is I think we all could benefit from becoming teachable, being humble enough to ask questions in a way that we seek to learn. Let's just commit to doing that. We can all grow as people. We can all become a better version of ourselves. And let's just commit to continual growth and continuing to raise the bar on what we're able to know so that we can do better with the information that we have. Yeah. My final thought is if a person comes to me or even writes in there, Hey guys, I understand what you're saying. I just disagree. I don't think anybody should have money in a safe place. I think you should continue to put all your money into investments. And I really disagree. I, I, I don't, I don't believe that you need a buffer account. I don't believe you need a death benefit. I think I'm going to be able to grow all my money faster than this death benefit. And if I die, you know, I'm not, I don't care if I'm going to protect anybody. I, I just don't care about this. And I believe, have these other beliefs. That's great. I, I don't have any problems with that. Matter of fact, I will listen to that. And I've actually changed my views on different things over the years. Um, but one of my views I've changed is I do believe you have to have some money in a tax-deferred position. I used to think that was the silliest thing to do because I, I believe tax rates are only going to go up in the future. But now that I understand how the federal tax, how we pay federal tax, we're always going to have a, an exemption amount 
on our, our tax return. So yes, why not defer taxes in the future to at least that exemption amount? And then you can take that money out of that IRA or tax deferred column potentially without ever paying any taxes on it because you're only taking, taking enough out for the exemption amount. And now that's, that takes a heck of a lot of tax planning, but it's possible. So I've, I've, now that I understand taxes more, I've changed my mind on it. I still don't think you should have a lot of money in there for reasons I, I talked about earlier, uh, because I'd rather pay them, pay the uh, taxes on the seed rather than on the crop, because it's going to be a lot bigger tax bill. Mm -hmm. So, but in, in, so that in closing is, you know, we encourage people that they don't have to think exactly like we think, but we want to have people ask why this is like this, not tell us why it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So ask why, not tell us why it's wrong. If you're going to tell us why it's wrong, then go somewhere else. I'd really want to know what the agenda of, of these people are that are coming on. And this is the worst one we've ever had, but coming on and trying to push their agenda. Why are they pushing an agenda so hard? Are they only, are they an investment advisor that doesn't want any of their assets under management be shifted to an insurance producer because they're going to lose money? That's a cynical way of thinking, but I've seen this over and over in my career where I've, I've had a client who wanted to do whole life insurance and they wanted to do maybe 40, 50, a hundred thousand a year. And it comes out of their investment account. And the investment advisor now is going to be losing commissions, commissions on the investment. So they tell them it's a stupid idea, mm -hmm. you know? So and that's just a scarcity mindset. I mean, really that's saying, well, there's a finite number of dollars in the world. I don't want to give up my share. So I'm going to tell people that any other decision or option of doing something besides my way is the wrong way so that I don't give up any dollars. But I mean, honestly, I think, I think people are smart enough to realize when somebody is coming across in a way that's very selfish or self-driven just for their own interest. And I think, I mean, intuitively, even small children know this about somebody. Are they integrous? Are they congruent? Are they really doing what's best for me? Are they, and I think that word congruent is probably the one of, one of the most important are, are they believing what they say is what's coming out of their mouth? Can it be trusted? That's something that you come to learn about a human and, um, you know, do business with people that you trust, do business with people that you know, have your best interest at heart that are going to provide you with the right information. And so let's just say here, if, if you've listened to this this far and you're saying, well, I had some of those questions before, and maybe you were on the fence kind of saying, I'm interested in life insurance. I'm in interested in infinite banking and the IBC concept, but I feel like I have these mental blocks or I, I have someone else's voice in the back of my mind telling me these negative things and I'm not sure what to do with that. And maybe you've come to this particular podcast and you've thought through some of those questions for yourself. We'd love to talk to you if you are interested in using infinite banking. Again, if you're looking for a debate or an argument, we um, we don't open our calendar for those things. But if you are interested in wanting to take strides forward in your own financial life and really think about how do I store my dollars in the best way possible and not just use infinite banking, but how do I leverage all of my financial life to do the most with my dollars and really think not just today, 
but about the rest of my life and about what I'm going to create for generations ahead, we'd love to be a solution and a resource for you. So you can go to themoneyadvantage.com. You can book on our our advisor's calendar, and we'd love to be able to provide you with those next steps to move forward. Bruce, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No, I think it's been a, it's been a good uh, discussion, and and uh, I look forward to talking to like-minded people. Awesome, as do I. So thank you so much. And in closing, please remember: success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.